changing the climate at the local level. I'm Robert Colangelo, and this is Green Sense, where we bring you eco-innovations that are changing your world. Angie Fife is the executive director of ICLEI, one of the largest global networks of local governments devoted to solving the world's most intractable sustainability challenges. Angie joins us now on GreenSense. Welcome, Angie. Well, thank you, Robert. Thanks for your interest in local climate action. Happy to be here. Well, all actions local, that's important. So let's get right into it. Uh, let's start out big picture. What does ICLEI stand for? And that's I-C-L-E-I. And give us a quick thumbnail about your organization and uh, just a short profile of who, who's your membership. Yes. So we, we say ICLEI here in the U.S. My European colleagues often say ICLEI. Uh, <laughs> and the, the acronym was initially the International Council for Local Environmental Initiatives, later shortened uh, to ICLEI, Local Governments for Sustainability. Um, still a mouthful, but uh, we are a nonprofit organization. We've been around for about 30 years now. And we do work with local governments, so cities, towns, counties, as well as regional councils of government to help them to assess local climate impacts, plan for the future, and put strategies in place to help them reduce greenhouse gas emissions, become more resilient, and hopefully more equitable and livable. Well, thank you. That was a great uh, uh, explanation. Um, but maybe a lot of listeners may not realize is that there's a number of associations for government, like the U.S. Conference of Mayors or the ICMA. Uh, how do you interact with these other organizations that also represent cities? Mm -hmm. Yeah, good question. Uh, we we have many partners. We're a, we're a fairly small organization. Um, at ICLEI USA, we only have 12 staff members, um, but we support a membership of about 325 local and regional governments in the U.S. Globally, we have 24 offices, uh, 125 countries that we serve, and about 2,500 local governments around the world. And so partnerships is very important. Um, the difference, uh, I would say, between, say, U.S. Conference of Mayors and ICLEI is that our focus is 100% on the climate challenge, as well as uh, biodiversity and uh, looking at opportunities to prepare for climate change, whereas the Conference of Mayors certainly has a track that is related to environmental, but mayors, of course, are working on a whole host of other <laughs> issues. And their issues are constantly changing. And that group does a lot of lobbying. So I, mm. I assume you're not a lobbying group? Correct. Okay. Well, I'm happy to announce that in February, you were featured as one of three women leading in sustainability and climate action. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, tell us what you did to earn that uh, honor. <laughs> I have to be honest and tell you that the the uh, the acclaim comes from from within. I was actually selected by my staff. Well, that <laughs> and maybe, is a great honor. <laughs> and so maybe uh, you know they thought this would be a nice thing to do for the boss. But um, no, it's really it's it's really nice uh, to have an opportunity to highlight the work that women are doing uh, around climate change. Because you know from from women carrying um, firewood and and water in Africa to um, bring sources of energy and resources uh, to their households to, uh, you know, women who are working at the highest levels of, of private and public sector uh, trying to make a change here. 
um, it's it's really an honor to be uh, recognized alongside uh, a couple of other city leaders. Uh, Kelly King, who's a council member from Maui County, Hawaii, uh, was also recognized, uh, as is Robin Eason. Uh, with West Hollywood, uh, California. So I think the staff is is interested in my um, sort of uh, trying to get at the root cause uh, of inequality. Um, and, you know, I live in Denver, Colorado. I am a, a woman of age 60 now. Never in my life have I lived in a city where the highest elected official was a woman. I've never lived in a state where the highest elected official was a woman. I've never lived in a country where the highest elected official was a woman. Um, and at the United Nations, we've never had uh, a female um, uh, secretary general. So there's still lots to be done in terms of bringing gender equality um, and bringing women into decision-making roles. Um, and so they, they know that's a passion of mine and I think wanted to highlight it. Well, we're honored to have you on the show. So let's get into the meat of it. Uh, climate change is a global issue. Tell us the history and the evolution of local government's role in climate action. Mm -hmm. um, so in the late 80s, there was a, a mayor in Irvine, California. Um, and it, due to the unique nature of business in Irvine at that moment, um, they were one of the highest emitters globally of a very nasty um, ozone depleting chemical. And uh, the mayor said, you know, we should do something about this. We, we have the ability to regulate businesses in our community. Um, this is causing, you know, punching a hole in the ozone and potentially um, affecting many, many um, millions of people around the globe. We should do something about that. So uh, he decided to bring together local leaders from um, across the U.S. and many countries uh, to start working on local policy that would, in fact, have global reach. And and so from that, the um, International Council for Local Environmental Initiatives, uh, later ICLE, was born um, and has been working at that various, uh, those various levels of government ever since. Well, even though climate change is a global issue, all the action has to happen local. Because when you start to look at sea level rise on coastal communities, People don't care if they don't live on a, a, a coastal community, but if, if you're a mayor and your city's being flooded and you have to change your infrastructure, you have to do something about it. Mm -hmm. So tell us uh, what cities are making progress and where, and where are they struggling? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Ickley, we have the, the pleasure of working with communities of all sizes uh, from across the country. This is one of the things I really love about the Ickley network. Obviously, you know, New York and Chicago and L.A. and, you know, the bigger communities have been at this for quite some time. Um, but our membership tends to be mid-size, even smaller communities around the, you know, 75,000 or less uh, in population. And um, they are all very actively engaged uh, through their community. So they do a lot of outreach to uh, their community members to get community members involved in uh, whether it's local food types of um, initiatives or energy efficiency, biking, um, that sort of thing. 
Um, and cities really can make a lot of progress um, in the areas in which they have agency or have control. Um, but as we know, um, cities don't um, make all of the decisions uh, in terms of policy for their, for their uh, constituents. Um, we are also part of a larger regulatory um, and state and national government uh, system. So I would say that the, the cities that are making progress tend to be cities um, where they have local leadership that's committed. They have an engaged public. Um, they have some technical staff or access to technical resources um, th through organizations like ours, through ICLEI. Um, and they have good partners in utilities and state government. Um, we do a lot of work in Florida, for example, um, where the legislature is uh, openly hostile <laughs> to local governments and makes it quite difficult um, for them to put policies in place um, to uh, move climate action forward at the local level. Well, one of the challenges for smaller cities, even bigger cities, is how do you fund and finance all these great plans? So. Uh, you could have mandates to do things, but without the funding, nothing's going to happen. How do mm -hmm. your members uh, overcome that challenge? Yeah, I mean, one of the things we we try to do with the folks that we're supporting is to help them to reframe the question, right? Yes, it costs to retrofit your streetlights, for example, and make them LED streetlights and, and more efficient. There is a cost there, of course. But when you look at the, the total cost of ownership for those streetlights, you may actually be saving money by making that investment in, in a capital improvement, um, saving energy over time, uh, and coming out with a lower uh, total cost to the taxpayers um, in your community. So we like to um, try to reframe that to, to think about these things in terms of investments. Um, there's also a lot of money that's that's spent at the local, state, and national level that could potentially be redirected um, and perhaps spent um, in a way that supports a, a goal around climate change um, versus you know some other activity uh, that that's not supporting um, goals that communities have put out. We also want communities to be thinking about the cost of inaction, as you mentioned, Robert. You know, the sea level rise, heat. Uh, impacts, uh, derechos, I mean, all these things that are happening in communities have a cost associated with them. Um, and they tend to be um, more difficult for low-income people um, to absorb those kinds of shocks and stresses um, than, than more um, capable, uh, financially uh, capable people. And so uh, we also want folks to be thinking about the cost of inaction. Yeah, those are all uh, good points um, and, and, and big concerns out there. Well, let's move uh, more to a global issue, uh, the IPCC AR6 report. And for those that don't know, that's a mouthful of acronyms, is Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. That's the IPCC. It's the UN body for assessing the science related to climate change. And the sixth assessment report was released by Group 1 in August 21 with follow-up reports in February and April of this year. And there are several alarm bells in the report. What are they? Mm. 
Yes, there are. The, the alarm bells have been going off for a while. And I think this is one of the challenges that we all have right now is that we're, we're definitely living in uh, a climate crisis uh, under a state of climate emergency. And there's a sense of uh, fatigue uh, in some cases. You know, how long can you keep that bar at um, code red um, before folks just, uh, you know, have to sort of tune out and, and move on to something else. And so um, I think what's important about the latest report is that it really focuses on solutions, and that's very hopeful. Um, and the interesting thing about the, the report is um, last year at ICLE USA, we did quite a bit of work around helping communities to set science-based targets so a science-based target in general is simply for a community or a corporation, um, at what level of greenhouse gas mitigation do you need to be by 2030 in order to hit our global targets of zero emissions by 2050? And so we, we looked at uh, 138 communities across the U.S. and analyzed um, where they need to be in 2030. They have to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions on average by 63% between now and 2030. That number just made me gulp when I saw that. I just thought, oh my goodness, how are we going to do that in eight years? But what's really interesting about um, that ambitious goal is that we don't have to invent anything new. We're not, we don't have to wait for nuclear fusion or, you know, the technology is here. Um, the policy instruments that we need to put in place are known, recognized, and can be replicated uh, across um, any community. We just have to get things lined up and in order and, and get going. Um, so I guess the hopeful part of that is, is knowing that there is a pathway. Um, and so we need to continue to focus on solutions and uh, keep our eye on implementation and tracking our progress. Well, since you brought up climate fatigue, I think the general population is very uh, fatigued with the, the Paris Accord and these global meetings. Uh, mm -hmm. All these politicians meet, uh, uh, but nothing really happens. You know, there's a lot of hot air that Greta Thunberg, you know, said, blah, 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 right? Mm -hmm. So climate is a complex global political issue, and it requires cooperation among all countries but it has to be acted upon at the individual and local level to really solve this problem. And at the corporate level, we can't even agree on climate solutions in our own country, let alone between all these different political groups. And what further complicates it is that in the US, presidential administrations change every four to eight years. Their climate policy changes. There's no continuity. How do we make progress? Wow. <laughs> Welcome to my world. Um, so, uh, you know, a couple of things. Uh, first of all, ICLE is, is uh, uniquely positioned in, in this space. Um, in 1992, we were actually named the organization to represent local governments as the focal point in these UN processes around climate change, as well as biodiversity. And so we've been bringing local governments and the needs and, and desires of local governments and their constituents, you and me, um, to those talks uh, since 1992. So there's a lot that goes on in between uh, the Conference of the Parties, which happens once a year. Um, I mean, it's, it's daily, uh, daily work that's going on um, in that regard. So um, 
how do we make progress when we, you know, what we see oftentimes are, you know, these, these big UN kind of meetings and um, Greta is absolutely right. Blah, blah, blah. We've, we've done a lot of committing and promising to do things. We really have to focus on uh, the actions back to the, the science-based targets and the high impact actions work that we did last year. Um, there are three things that we found that will help communities to meet these very ambitious goals. Number one is decarbonization of the electricity grid. I mean, that has got to be um, a part of any administration's uh, goals, whether it be in the US or, or Canada or Europe. Um, we have to eliminate the use of fossil fuels to generate electricity. And then we have to electrify everything. So we've got to do more electric um, heat pumps instead of gas furnaces. Um, and we have to do more in terms of electric transportation, electric school buses, uh, electric uh, public transit. Those things will, will get us um, uh, well into that, that 63% reduction um, that we need. So we, um, in addition to, you know, the, the administration changing at the national level, we also have mayors who switch over um, on a very regular basis, right? And county commissioners that switch over at a very regular basis. Um, so it's a very dynamic system, um, but I think uh, keeping our eye on the prize there in terms of this decarbonization is important. Um, I also want to say to the folks who are listening to your show, who I'm sure, you know, they recycle and, you know, they don't take car trips that they don't need to take and they're bought into this um, and want to know, you know, what more can they do? Um, I want to say, don't beat yourself up. Um, that is exactly what the fossil fuels industry, I believe, wants us to do. Um, is to, to feel defeated um, as individuals um, when really what we need to focus on are these big systemic changes and, and moving um, away from fossil fuels. Now that comes with a, a, a both a, a cost and a benefit, obviously. Um, here in Colorado, where I live, um, the state has set up what they call an Office of Just Transition. Um, which is attempting to work with uh, the fossil fuels industry here in my state because we're a big uh, oil and gas um, and coal extraction um, state uh, to, to transition those industries and the folks that support them and work in them um, into this new energy economy where we need to be. Well, uh, we had uh, Andrew Winston on our show. He was the author of Green to Gold. And uh, one of the vignettes that he imparted on us was that, you know, one way to make change is to make small change multiplied by millions of people and mm -hmm. you can yield big results. So sure. if one person recycles one bottle and we have 350 million people in the U.S., we're going to get 350 million bottles recycled. So another approach is going after these large corporations. When they make changes in their supply chain, like a Walmart or a Costco, they can have huge impacts. What's happening on the local level to work with these corporations that have uh, serious sustainability plans uh, to make change? Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, and I don't want to discount recycling, the individual recyclers. You're right. I mean, individual responsibility, I, I yes. Recycling. <laughs> I, I just meant in a broader, you could apply yeah. that concept to anything, of course. right? Yeah, yeah. We, we, you know, to electric am, cars, to decarbonization, right? <laughs> completely. Uh, I drive my family crazy by turning out the lights all the time and, you know, as soon as I leave the room. So um, at, the, at the local level, uh, 
local governments can also work on their own supply chains uh, and their own carbon footprint. Um, and this is actually a, an area that we really encourage um, our cities and counties to explore first and foremost, if they're just getting started in this work around sustainability and climate, um, to focus on their own operations, to lead by example. Um, to improve the efficiency of their own buildings, to transition their fleets to more efficient vehicles or electric vehicles, to reduce employee commuting um, uh, impacts and, and that sort of thing. Um, it's smart because it saves taxpayer dollars most often. Um, and it does set an example for the community um, by which uh, others can follow and, and replicate those, those kinds of strategies. So um, leading by example and supply chain uh, is certainly work that can be done at the local level, local government level as well. Well, Angie, I enjoyed talking with you. You have quite a effort ahead of you. It seems like each year uh, we, we get uh, more reduction that we have to meet to meet our goal of uh, you know, reducing the temperature. So uh, keep up the good work and thank you for joining us on GreenSense. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks so much for covering this topic. Really appreciate it. That's Angie Fife, Executive Director at ICLE USA, providing an update on what local governments are doing to promote sustainability and climate. I'm Robert Colangelo, and this is GreenSense, reminding you to subscribe to our podcast at greensensefarms.com and check out the GreenSense Minute every Thursday and Saturday on News Radio 780, 105.9 FM, WBBM, Chicago. <laughs>